0: Hey there, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Evoke Greatness. This podcast was created for those of you who, like me, are driven by their curious nature and fascination with the champion mindset. If you have an insatiable hunger for growth and knowledge, or maybe you're just curious on how some of the most successful people have navigated their journey, we share the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, and all the lessons learned along the way. It doesn't matter what chapter you are on in your story. Maybe you're just getting started or heck, maybe you're halfway through. What I know is where intention goes, energy flows. It's my most sincere hope that you will hear something in one or maybe many of these episodes that resonates with you and reminds you that you are not in this alone. As we venture into year two, I hope that you find a sense of connection and community when you're here because we all deserve a place where we belong. My name is Sunny and I am so glad you're here. If you're new, there's a few things you want to know about me. I am a huge book nerd and a wee bit of a control enthusiast with an obsession for motivational coffee cups. I believe that a rising tide raises all ships and I invite you along in this journey to evoke greatness. <laughs> Support for the Evoke Greatness podcast is brought to you by BlendJet. Anyone who knows me knows that I do not travel without my portable blender. I have morning green smoothies every single day. BlendJet 2 is portable, lightweight, and slips right in my bag or purse. You can blend a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita at the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so when you're making your morning smoothie, you don't have to wake up the whole house. This thing lasts for 15-plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. You literally just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. It cleans the whole thing out. So what are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use the promo code SUNNY12 to get 12% off your order and free 2-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use the code SUNNY12, S-O-N-N-I-E-12, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. another episode of Evoke Greatness. My guest today is Dr. Jenny Byrne, physician leader, psychiatrist, entrepreneur, brain and behavior specialist, and author of Work Smart. Use your brain and behavior to master the future of work. The study of brain and behavior is literally one of my favorite things. <laughs> and I'm so looking forward to this interview. So thank you so much for being here today, Jenny.
1: Thank you. It's obviously one of my favorite things too. Right, right. we've
0: got, We've got good overlap there. <laughs> well, in seeing and reading about all that you've done, I would really love to know. I, I always like to kind of go back to that origination place, but what brought you to the latest evolution of where you are today?:
1: Oh gosh. I've had so many twists and turns on the path, and I know there's more, I'm sure, on the horizon. but I think the short-term twist was like many people, many of your listeners, I'm sure, when the pandemic hit. And I was in a big corporate healthcare job, a national Mm -hmm. C-suite corporate job, pandemic hit. Healthcare was obviously on the front line of all of that. And things changed fast and kind of figuring out what I wanted to be when I grew up, as I say, which never really stops, I've learned. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that was really the pivot. So it was probably about two years ago, I had a pretty hard pivot and really sat down and what do I want? What does my family want? What's important to me? And um, I did leave that C-suite job and pivoted into what I call kind of a a work portfolio. So I've learned I'm happy doing more than one thing at a time. And so I've done a bunch of different stuff and we can talk more about the book. That's kind of been the most recent project, I would say in the past year, but it's really kind of a shifting portfolio of work.
0: As Chief Patient Officer at belong health, you you talk about a secret sauce, and that yes. secret sauce being a mix of expertise and empathy. Why do you think the combination of those two things really equates to something almost magical?
1: So, I love the fact that we're seeing this new interest in empathy and human connectedness because my thesis is, and part of the book is this that that is what we're all craving. We're craving a sense of human connectedness, which comes through empathy. And you could call them people skills or EQ. I hate soft skills. I hope nobody ever says that again. <laughs> I hope we're over that past it. Um, but it's really the part of our brain that's designed to, to connect with other humans. Even if you're an introvert, you typically have some need to connect with others. And that, I believe, has just been totally missing um, in the mm. workplace in particular, but even in our lives, um, civil engagement or other kinds of things, I think people feel like something is missing. So So when you take expertise, which is what we've traditionally focused on, and women, especially successful women, especially right, getting that credential getting the promotion, getting the skills, learning something new. Like we're pretty good at that, I would say, but where we're not always so good is the empathy piece. So Mm. I believe that by bringing the two together, our brain is more harmoniously working. And it's also more harmoniously connecting with other human beings, which is important for any company, for anybody at work, because you have to work with other people. unless. There are a couple jobs where you don't, but normally you're working with other people and to be kind of in a synchronous state with them, you really need to master this human connectedness piece. Um, whether it's with your clients, with your team, with your direct report, with your boss, with your C-suite, with your board. And so this idea of synchrony, I think that's where the, the magic happens. When you bring expertise and empathy together, you can create synchrony and, um, I think that's what, I think that's what we want. I, I don't think we want to be feeling like robots anymore.
0: Right, right. And that, that's kind of leads perfectly into, I've, I've seen you talk about the corporate culture and, and for those who can't see me, it's like the air quotes, right? <laughs> the corporate culture really being designed kind of from the inception of almost an assembly line and yeah. then really in that kind of a robot cog and a wheel environment that has maybe morphed but still lives on in its own way and and number 1 i guess when did you kind of come to that distinction
1: oh gosh i was a i guess i was kind of a cog in the machine for a long time but i always felt like something wasn't right and and so i think i had an aha moment when i started um kind of an entrepreneurial a solopreneurial adventure which was Mm -hmm. starting my own private practice because I felt like something was wrong. I was in the healthcare system. I was a physician I was working with patients and it just felt wrong. And I would go to my physician and I'd be like, this is just wrong. Why are they putting me in like 20 little rooms one after the other? Like why, (laughs) you know, why can't I just have a normal conversation with my physician outside of our appointment? Why, you know, all these things. I was like, this just isn't right. It doesn't feel right. So I was like, you know what? I can do better. I'm going to go do my own thing and I'm going to make a practice that I would want to go to, or that I would Mm. want my family member to go to. So I think that was the big leaping off point for me where I felt like I'm going to leave the assembly line. I'm going to try something different and I'm just going to wing it. Honestly, I'm going to figure it out as I go along. And I did that for about nine years with the solopreneur.
0: Wow. And so it sounds like a lot of it is about the experience, right? Both, both to provide and to receive.
1: Yes. And I think
0: that's a a really big piece because sometimes it's one-sided, right? We just know it doesn't feel good from the side. Maybe we, where we are providing a service, but to have the awareness of what it's like to receive the service in a way from an assembly line or, you know, robots I think that almost paints this bigger picture, more alarming picture of yeah. something different needs to be done or created.
1: Yeah. And I believe, so there's this concept from psychotherapy. So I've worked as a psychotherapist and had a lot of training in my my training on that. There's this thing called parallel process. And I think you're going to like this idea. So parallel process says that whatever happens in the room with a patient and a therapist reflects upwards. So the therapist has a similar um, experience with their supervisor. And then that supervisor has a similar experience with the other one, et cetera, et cetera. So feelings and experiences can filter up and down organizations. For example, um, helplessness. I had a patient, uh, when I was very early in my training that felt very helpless and he made me feel helpless. I felt like I couldn't help him. And I did this bizarre unconscious behavior where I went to my supervisor and made her helpless by not taking my notes, by forgetting things. And she pointed out to me because she was very skilled as a supervisor and said, this is parallel process. He's Mm -hmm. making you feel helpless. You're making me feel helpless. And I had this, you know, head exploding moment where I was like, oh, I'm a human being just like everyone else. And I'm doing this weird subconscious thing the way that other people do. And so the idea of parallel process, I think in the – more corporate setting is like when you have a client, what happens between you, know, you and the client reflects up to you and your team, reflects to you and the C, you know, for your team and the leaders and the C-suite and the board and vice versa. So when the board is anxious about whatever, like let's say the financial trend is stressing them out, that anxiety can filter the whole way down into the room with a patient if you're in healthcare, for example, or vice versa. Or if your doctor is under tremendous strain, ready to burn out and quit, that's going to go in the room with the patient and that's going to go up to your board. So it's all intertwined. And this is the part I get really excited about because it's not rocket science, but you do have to look for it and be aware of it. And once you do that, there's all these aha moments like the one I had with my patient.
0: You probably have just seen my head, you know, pop off the top. That is fascinating. Yes. I, as you were saying and describing that, I was literally thinking back to my last corporate role Mm -hmm. and the ripple effect. Yes. That I would, that, that I experienced, that I was living in. Wow. And because we don't traditionally
1: talk about workers as humans or leaders as humans, and we, we, we talk about them more in this robot context. By ignoring all of the human, the very normal, very mm-hmm. human psychology that happens, Um, we're ignoring all of this. And so we're wasting time. We're wasting money. We're, it, you know, again, it's not rocket science. And I find also, ironically, the things that matter the most sometimes don't cost anything. We spend right. so much money on, oh, it's a systems problem or- Oh, it's a this, but actually it's not. It's just a human emotional or psychological issue that doesn't even cost anything in terms of like yeah. you know, dollars right. to fix.
0: Mm, that is really interesting. Well, we're in a time where both of us being in chief, we yeah. hear uh we hear a lot of really powerful female voices mm-hmm. and we're exposed to a lot of that by way of that network. And what we've been hearing a lot about for gosh, almost the last year is women within the C-suite within these corporate or executive roles are saying, I can't take this anymore. Or they're finally, they're finally raising their hands up in the air because they're at a place of almost desperation, not feeling connected, not belonging, not feeling like they are intellectually being activated or stimulated. And it's like, Okay, just go, you know, it's on the assembly line. Go in, punch in, yeah. you know, punch out and and go home for your day. And what I'm hearing is women are wanting more. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm sure that probably goes for both women and men. But in a time of wanting more, what I'm curious is do you have a perspective on men and women? Do they want something different?
1: Oh, that's so interesting. Well, I love that the chief women are elevating the conversation because they are. Um, secure in themselves and have succeeded enough to feel like they can raise their hand and ask questions. So I love that the conversation is coming from chief. I think the conversation is there for men as well. Mm -hmm. It's a little different. I think because societal pressures are still skewed with the expectation that women go home and work a second job and most men. Now, this is different for younger generations. I do think mm-hmm. when I see people in their 20s and I do feel like there's things that are different there, but for people, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, for me for sure, probably for millennials too. Um I think that the pressure is still there for the women to go home and work the second job and be a caregiver and do all, you know, the house and you know, and it's not there for the men as much, right? Like they mm-hmm. still The expectations are just different. So I think the voices of the women feeling desperate or I think it's because they have this societal burden on them on top of the workplace burden, whereas the men maybe don't have quite as much of that. Mm -hmm. I also think I find it really interesting. A lot of women um, put pressure on the men to be robots So the men are almost like, okay, I got to be a robot. That's my duty to society and my family. And so I think they've been more accepting of that role. But if you go just a little deeper, you'll see that the men are quite unhappy as well. They may not emote it or Mm -hmm. feel so desperate. But when you talk to them, and I coach leaders and I coach physician leaders, probably about 50-50 men and women. And if you really get to talk to them, it's there for them too. But it's not on the surface as much, and maybe it's not quite as um, desperate feeling.
0: Yeah. And I think we're just getting to a place, probably over the last year as well, that, that it's seemed a little louder to have men who are really open to being more vulnerable yeah. in sharing that they don't, you know, that they're, that they're unhappy where they are. They're sharing the challenges and the lessons that they've had along the way. And so I think that's relatively new. You know, when you think about it, and there's, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that there are are some people out there who've been doing it for their entire careers. But um, I think it's, and I don't know whether it's post pandemic, whether it is coming to a place where the world just got to this really crazy place that felt like you know all of us were kind of busting out of the seams a bit when it came to Mm -hmm. our emotions or what we want to do in our career, what we what the kind of impact that we want to have in the world. And so I think that that is something that is just really starting to become a little louder, which I I appreciate and I love it.
1: Yeah, me too. And I think it's always none of this is actually new. I think it's all been there the whole time. It's just that as a society, we're kind of at a moment where we can take advantage of a crisis to have a silver lining and and pay attention to some stuff that's a little uncomfortable. Mental health Mm -hmm. is uncomfortable for the vast majority of people even now talking about, you know, gender dynamics in the workplace, equity dynamics in the workplace, equity in our world, like these are still pretty uncomfortable topics for most people. So I think we're just starting, but I'm firm believer. I'm an optimist. I'm a futurist. So I'm like, don't waste a crisis, like take, grab this crisis and make the best of it. Don't just go back to the old stuff, which wasn't really working for most people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to hop into the book and I want to better understand where did the idea come from? What what was spurred inside of you that had you say, okay, I, it's time?
1: It's kind of, you know, again, these are always meandering stories, <clears throat> very nonlinear. Um, and probably like a lot of your listeners, again, a couple years ago, mid pandemic, I'm like, oh crap, what do I do? <laughs> and i you know was in chief and i was like maybe chief will help and they did have some resources but in general i felt like there when i tried to figure out what to do as a leader there wasn't much there like i didn't find what was out there very helpful so again like your listeners i wanted i was like well i'll just dig in and see what i can do so i started doing research from my lens which is that human brain and behavior lens So I started reading, you know, brain research, psychology research. I started pulling in stuff I knew from my experience in therapy and psychiatry. And um, so it was really just at first me trying to figure it out like everybody else. And then somebody came to me, somebody who was actually my coach. And she said, Jenny, there's this program where you can write a book in under a year. And I always said you should write a book and I think you should do it. And I was thinking to myself like, oh, you know, it's a very serious decision to write a book. I should really think about this. And then 30 seconds later, I was like, yes, I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like one of those gut moments where you, I could very easily have talked myself out of it, but I kind of went with my gut. And, um, and then as I was writing at first, I was like, well, I'm just writing this kind of for myself and, you know, learn about writing and, But then I started talking to people and interviewing people and I got more passionate and angry. And I had all my friends who, again, you know, in their forties, typically maybe fifties, even who were like, well, I don't know. I guess we'll just go back to our office. And I was like, why would you go back to your, like, you hated it there. You complained to me about it every day. And then you're just going to go back. Like, why would you do that? And then I got kind of angry at people and I'd be like, you don't have to do that. Like, don't, don't go mess it up for your whole team. Like, you know, spend a little effort and time. And so I think it was the, the passion and some some kind of the anger that actually helped me get across the finish line. And now it's more the excitement. I really have ideas that I just, I really think they can help people. I tried to be very pragmatic with like the application of the ideas. And so I'm really just excited that people can quickly get the ideas and use them in a way that can make a difference.
0: What are some of the biggest insights or uh, light bulbs that you hope someone garners out of reading your book?
1: Oh, gosh, so many. I think, first of all, I want people to understand where their assumptions about the workplace came from. So you mentioned like the factory model. I want Mm -hmm. people to understand that our traditional office image with all the cubicles and so forth and so on, like that came off of a factory floor model that evolved in post-war America because it was highly successful uh, actually came from Henry Ford who took the ideas of someone named Robert Taylor. So, so this is really deeply ingrained in us. Like we think it's always been like that and it always has to be like that, but it's really just a historical context for where it came from. So I, I want people to understand that, that the traditional office is really built off of a factory floor where humans were part of an assembly line. And that's, why it feels like we're part of an assembly line because that's where it came from. So I think understanding that assumption and then you know looking back at things series like The Office or the movie Office Space which was a while ago pre-pandemic, yeah. you know we all laughed at that and we're like oh it's so ridiculous. So we we knew it was ridiculous even before the pandemic, but the assumption was so deep that we didn't do anything. So I think that's, that's the first takeaway I really want people to understand is like, it's an assumption and, and it has a history behind it. Um, another big insight that I gained that I would want people to take away is that um, empathy has a ceiling. So you hear in the leadership literature about empathy and how we want to grow empathy in leaders, right? But they don't talk about the reality of empathy, which is that it's limited. Some people Mm -hmm. may have more than others just by their own temperament, but it has a limit. And as a therapist, you know, I trained in this. We train to manage our empathy tank (laughs) and I've blown it. There's been times in my career where I've, uh, especially when I had a private practice, I started seeing too many people a day and my empathy ran out. And that poor patient at the end of the day got a really low empathy version of me. And I'm sure it really Mm -hmm. stunk for them, right? And it's same at work as a leader. You know, if you use up all your empathy and then you got a three o'clock or whatever, you know, your tank might be low. And oh, by the way, if your kid is sick or you have something going on in your life or you're stressed or, you know, your tank goes lower, 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 lower. And there may be days where you only have like a teeny tiny little bit of empathy and you have to choose where to put it. So I think a takeaway I would like people to have is that empathy has limitations. It can be trained. So you can train to be better at empathy, but you have to realize your own limits and you have to choose where you're going to use it. So don't be so hard on yourself and think like, why can't I be empathetic for, you know, 10 hours a day with work and family and all this, like it's not realistic. And therapists don't do that either, by the way. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like a second, and then if I had to pick one more insight, I would say um, time management is the building block of everything. But time management—that word—is awful because it comes from the factory floor, right? So, right. So I hate that word, but I do use it in the book because it's the one everyone is familiar with, and and the one concept I think is a great visual as a takeaway is time confetti, which is a term that Bridget Schulte came up with in her book, Overwhelmed, which is specifically geared towards women leadership positions, but that was pre-pandemic. And time confetti is all your little snippets of time that you were just throwing in the air willy nilly with no plan. And by the end of the day, you look around and you just see all these little scraps of paper, like, where did my day go? And so I talk about in the book, how to kind of minimize time confetti And to chunk tasks and use your brain in a way that is more human and not like, you know, ping, email, phone call, PowerPoint, you know, this, like stop throwing your, like time is valuable and women in particular, I think need to own that. And I think it has to come from within. I don't think we can wait around for other people to value our time. I think we just have to say. My time is valuable. I'm not going to just throw it all over the place willy-nilly.
0: I really like that visual confession. Yes. But I hadn't heard that before. And as you were saying that, I was thinking, how, I was trying to figure out how that was, you know, being used. And as you explained it, it's like, oh, how many of us look yeah. at the end of the day and you go, wait a second, I swear I was busy all day long. Yeah. I swear I worked for, and, and what? For what? Is anything finished? Is anything, you know, where I want it to be, it was progress made. And so I love that visual. That's really, really compelling.
1: Yeah. And again, I just think for women in particular, like, and this is where I, you know, do think we can be a little harder on ourselves, perhaps, or more disciplined Mm -hmm. on ourselves. Like no one is going to do it for you. The school, you know, I have teenagers, like the school is going to call me if I don't, clearly show that my husband's supposed to be the first line of phone call. And every time they call me, tell tell them, no, you're not supposed to call me. Like mm-hmm. they're going to keep doing it because it's just mm-hmm. the way society is. So we do have right. to own that ourselves, I think, and and be firm about it. Because without time, all the other stuff, the empathy, the communication, the everything else you want to accomplish, if you can't grab that confetti, you know what I mean? Like it's just not going to happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, shifting gears a little bit, I I'm a sucker for lessons that we've all learned out of any process that we've gone through, any journey that we've gone through. And so I was thinking about as you have written this book, that's been a journey for you. And uh, you know, and again, like there's there's always the ups and downs and ebbs and flows in our journey, but I'm curious, what were some powerful moments that or powerful things that you learned, lessons that you learned in the process of writing your book?
1: There were a couple places where I was really surprised and I think made me sit up and pay attention. The one was that this idea that writing is not a solitary activity. And I always thought it was, and they said to me Mm -hmm. at the beginning of this program, like, you write with other people, and I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll just write by myself, you know? But um, there were moments where I really needed help and having the community to help me and that connection. Again, that like human connection yeah. really made a difference. And then I found a lot of power. They told me I should reach out and interview people. And at first I was kind of like, I don't know, I was a little reluctant to do that. I didn't really know how to do, you know, you're doing a great job interviewing me, but I didn't know how to interview people. Um, and so that was a little uncomfortable for me at first, but then when I interviewed people, I just learned so much and it took the book in different directions and gave me that passion. And, um, I had one interview with actually one of my editors in the book, who's a young woman who's disabled and she has cerebral palsy and epilepsy. And so for her to get to an office, like a traditional office is like a three hour ordeal every day. And she's like, you know, the disabled community has been screaming for years that we don't need to come to a traditional office every day to be of high value. And nobody nice. was listen. Well, very few people were listening to them. And right. so that when she told me about her experience, that really made it real for me in a different way. Um, so that was powerful. And, and then even, I'll just say, even last week I had a low moment. <laughs> it's a lot of ups and downs. I had a low moment cause I had just put so much work into this and, um, you know the ebook finally had landed, and and I had this creative emptiness feeling, which I think is a very normal part of creating, right? When your creation is kind of out there, and I got a text from someone kind of out of the blue, a colleague who said, "You know, I read, I got your book because I wanted to help you, and I think you're nice, and blah blah blah." But I didn't think it was. He didn't say exactly this way. I didn't think it was going to be any good. But he's like, you know, but and and I started reading, and he's like, "Oh my god." This idea is great. And he described something that really mattered to him. And so every time I get that kind of feedback from someone, yeah. whether it's a colleague or a, a stranger, is even better. If a stranger says something that resonated with them, like I think it surprised me how much that matters. Like those little comments, mm-hmm. somebody writes you a review or someone says something or a LinkedIn post or those things yeah. really. So anyone listening out there, not just for me, but if you have other authors that you like, just drop them a line and say, thank you. It like, I can't tell you how much that really matters.
0: Yeah. And, and being someone who really understands how the brain works and the behavior associated with it, when people get to those low moments, because we all do, that's a part of life. Yeah. What guidance would you have in, in making their way out of that low moment?
1: People use different words, like, self-care, self-management. I, I I don't love any of those words. Again, I think it's like more about acknowledging that you're a human being with a human body that mm-hmm. needs to be cared for and being kind to yourself. So I try to have people around me and habits that support me um, for when I am kind of low. So, cause I know that's going to happen. Um, and I'm getting better at saying like, today's a low day. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I can have a low day too, right? Like I'm human, I'm not superhuman. So giving myself like, just being kinder, I guess, to myself, I think is something that's always practicing. Um, And then the other big thing I would say is for me, and I do talk about this in the book is creative activities, whatever that may be, it doesn't have to be painting, you know, creative, it can Mm -hmm. be nature walks, it can be walking around town and just looking at stuff in a different way. It can be talking with someone new, like whatever, like that has become fuel. So the low moments for me, having things to do, whether it's writing or I do a lot of like fiber arts, I play music, I'm in a band. Like for me, like I've just turned up the volume on all of my creative activities when I'm low or when I'm high. Mm -hmm. And that really helps me get through. I think if I didn't have those things and there's been times in my corporate life where I didn't do those things and I had an emptiness in me that, that, that wasn't there, but I didn't, you know, in hindsight, I can see that at the time. I didn't really see it.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. And you talk about one of those creative things was actually, was something that I actually saw, which is you play electric bass in a rock <laughs> band.
1: That is my, so this is where i I wrote about in the book, but you know I was a musician when I was a teenager and I was really into it. I went to college as a performance major and nobody knew this about me and I shared it there was some icebreaker thing I don't know during the pandemic something happened and I shared it and people were like, why I didn't know that about you and I realized that I hadn't shared that with anyone because I was like somehow embarrassed about it or I thought that I couldn't be a musician and a leader and a this and a doctor and all that had to go, you know. All those silly things had to go away when you become a grown up. And I realized many people feel that way. So, yes, during the pandemic, uh, my daughter is singing in a in a school of rock performance group for years. And I realized they had adult lessons, and I was like, I wanted to play the bass, but I have very small hands. So in high school, I didn't try it. I played other instruments, and I picked it up. I've been playing for over a year. We've had performances, and it has brought me such joy in my life, something again, I didn't realize like that was just missing for so long. And I just didn't even know it.
0: Yeah. And it fires differently in your brain doing something like that.
1: Oh, totally. I mean, it just, it's really good for my brain. It really is good for me kind of emotionally. And it's also having places that, and for women, you know, your audience, especially, you know, I can just be me. Like I go to band and I'm just the bass player. I'm not like in charge of anybody. I'm not, (laughs) I don't have a to-do list other than like practice. I don't have expectations on me other than just to like do my best and be a good bandmate. Mm -hmm. So it's also having a space where I'm just me and I'm not all those other things like that has really helped me. And I know a lot of women, we don't, we're not good about that. Like we don't, feel comfortable maybe having spaces where we're just ourselves without all the other stuff.
0: Right. Right. And to exist in a place like that, I think brings about things in you that maybe you didn't know about yourself or that you hadn't, you almost hadn't recognized because it had been so long since you'd seen that in yourself. And I think that in itself is a gift.
1: Yeah. And if you, you know, if you can remember, maybe you had these moments and like, as a teenager, you probably had moments where you did something and you were like, oh, this is just great and you were willing to try something new and like explore it and just for no other reason than it like it was something exciting and new and you get that little feeling almost like you did when you were a teenager and you maybe hadn't felt that for you know 30 years and it's great and you're like you know there were some good things about being a teenager that freedom and willingness to try things that we somehow just stopped doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we wrap up, I want to make sure that everyone knows where to find you, uh, whether that be to pick up a copy of the book, whether that looks like if they want to deep dive in and would like to seek coaching, where can they find you at?
1: So the best way to get the book is through Amazon, ebook, paperback, hardcover, and the audiobook I'll do probably this summer. So you can kind of stay nice. tuned if you like audiobooks. books. Um, so that's a great place. Um, most of my... Um, kind of thinking I share on LinkedIn. So my LinkedIn is Dr. Dr. Jenny J-E-N-N-I-E Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E. So that's easy place to follow me there. I, I pretty much share exclusively on LinkedIn right now. Um, and then for people who do want to deep dive, who are like, oh, I need this like now. And I need to know like for my situation tomorrow, how do I fix it? That's where I think coaching is really helpful, whether that's mm-hmm. one-on-one or even as like a, a group coaching session. So my website has a page on coaching and my website is same (laughs) www.drdrjennie.com. So you can go to the coaching page and see a little bit about that. Um, And then finally, if the book is something you want to bring to your whole team or, you know, I can do my publisher lets me do book bundles or book clubs or stuff like that. So if you think it would be something you really want to share with a lot of people, Um, you know, just reach out to me and I can probably figure a good way to get you a bunch of copies.
0: Awesome. Well, the book is Work Smart, Use Your Brain and Behavior to Master the Future of Work. That will be available on Amazon next week. And so make sure to pick up a copy. Jenny, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I know you love brain and behavior too. So it was a great conversation.
0: Support for the Evoke Greatness podcast is brought to you by Manscaped the best in grooming. Breaking news. Our friends at Manscaped are now selling beard products. Just in time for Valentine's Day. That's right. The leader in men's below the waist grooming are once again revolutionizing the men's hygiene game with the new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Look, nobody likes a weird beard. So say goodbye to all your stubble trouble and tame his mane this Valentine's Day. Save 20% off and free shipping by going to manscaped.com and using the code SUNNY20. The Beard Hedger Pro Kit is the ultimate Valentine's Day gift because you'll also be happy with this gift. It all starts with the Beard Hedger. This electric beard hair trimmer is a premium beard sculpting machine. It's got a cordless trimmer with a rotary wheel and 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. Plus it's waterproof, so he can shave in the shower to avoid all that hair in the sink or bathroom floor. The titanium coated T-blade is tough on hair, but smooth on his face, leading to single stroke efficiency. The Beard Hedger Pro Kit doesn't end there though. They have created four dermatologist tested formulations for post-trim hygiene. There's the beard shampoo and conditioner. You need to remember your man's hair is different. Beard hair is more coarse and easier to damage than the hair on his head. That's why the kit has made shampoo and conditioner specially designed to reduce ingrown hairs, replace natural oils, and promote beard health. Next, the kit has Manscapes Beard Oil. No one wants a guy whose beard is brittle and dry. The oil relieves dryness both on the beard and the skin beneath while adding a little shimmer and shine, making him look extra fine. Cap off the kit with the Beard Balm, a pomade that shapes, styles, moisturizes, and tames for a sculpted look. The Beard hedger Pro Kit also comes with three free gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure he has all the tools he needs for a perfect beard. You're going to love it, and he's going to love it. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code SUNNY20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code sunny Twenty, S O N N I E two zero Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. Thank you so much for listening and for being here on this journey with me. I hope you'll stick around. If you liked this episode, it would mean the world for me if you would rate and review the podcast or share it with someone you know may need to hear this message. I love to hear from you all and want you to know that you can leave me a voicemail directly. If you go to my website, evokegreatness.com and go to the contact me tab, you'll just hit the big old orange button and record your message. I love the feedback and comments that I've been getting. So please keep them coming. I'll leave you with the wise words of author Robin Sharma. Greatness comes by doing a few small and smart things each and every day. It comes from taking little steps consistently. It comes from making a few small chips against everything in your professional and personal life that is ordinary, so that a day eventually arrives when all that's left is the extraordinary.